so much, brother. Thank you. You are the man. Appreciate that. Well, welcome in the name of the Lord. We're glad you're here. It is uh, an honor and privilege to be here, especially on Memorial Day weekend. I know we got a lot of people doing a lot of stuff, but we do want to thank you. We want to uh, also thank all the people that have family members that have served and, and, and died or been a part of the military. Uh, it, for me, it's special. My father was a part of that uh, Navy and, and just seeing what God has done. And, and so I just want to, you know, this, take this moment and just really press upon our hearts that God has done some amazing things through our military and the freedoms that we have. And so it's such an honor to do that. And as I was reflecting on that and thinking about that this week, it, it came across a passage, actually, as I was working through in my quiet time. Y'all know that I, I go through the Old and New Testament and Psalm and Proverbs and, and work through the Bible every year. And, and so we've kind of been in this Second Chronicles for a little bit and, and doing this Invest series. But thinking about Memorial Day, you know, how do you want to be uh, remembered? How do you want to be memorialized? In one country right now, it, when you die, they actually take your clothes of the deceased and they put the clothes on and they act out the way you would act. I mean, think about that. It, that's the eulogy. That's the funeral. Is they, they put on your clothes and they begin to have your mannerisms and they, and they begin to say the words that you say a lot and act that out. And For me, that, that's powerful that people would be that in tune with one another and kind of remember that. So if you have your phones, your pads... Your Bibles, whatever you got, it's on summitcharleston.com, it's on Facebook, at Summit Church. But let's go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And I just want to give us some axioms. That's a, a, a fancy word for sayings. I don't want to go and say they're Proverbs. You know, there's, to me, there's only, you know, the real Proverbs, is the book of Proverbs, or the Word of God. But I want to give some axioms that, that I think that hold true in, in our lives. And so if we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 24. We're going to bounce around a little bit in Second Chronicles and kind of look at this. You're going to see a lot of different kings, and you're going to see some kings that do some things well and kings that do some things not so well. There was this, there was this young kid. His life was saved. His name is Joash. His life was saved because there was a priest. There was a priest in Judah who knew what to do was right, and his wife saw this young boy getting ready to be killed. This young boy was getting ready to die. There was a woman who was evil that took over, and she says, I'm going to kill all of the royal household, even my grandchildren. Now that's a pretty wicked woman. She's going to kill her grandchildren. So she goes and she begins to just slaughter this house, the royal house. But this priest's wife takes this young kid named Joash, and she, she and her husband, who's a priest, they hide him away in the temple, and this wicked grandmother has no idea, has no idea that this little boy is alive. And so for six years, this little boy lives in the temple under the protection of the priest and this wife, and his wife, and they begin to set up guards within the temple, and they protect this little boy. I mean, people that would come in and go out didn't even know that this little boy was even there. Then at the end of six years going into the seventh year, the priest comes out to the people, and he calls all the leaders together, and he says, I want you to know something. We're going to make a covenant, and here is the rightful king. 
Here is the one whose lineage goes back to King David, and he should be king, not this wicked woman. And the crowd erupts with joy, and they erupt with praise. And this wicked grandmother comes out, and she hears this noise, and she goes, treason, treason. And she begins to try and discover what's going on. And she's mad that this little boy's lived. And then they issue a death decree on her. And they end up killing her. And so what happens is little boy begins to to become king. And he's under this tutelage of this priest. And this priest is pouring his life into this kid. And this kid grows up and he says, you know what? We need to repair the temple. And so they make this chest. And the people would come and they would bring and put their money in it and they would repair, they repaired the temple. But then something happened. As this priest gets into the latter part of his life, he dies and something miraculous happens. I want you to look with me in Scripture. Look with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15. This is really, really beautiful now jehoada was old and full of years and he died at the age of 130 dude lived a long time verse 16 he was buried he was buried with the what saints come on talk to me i didn't hear you he was buried with who the king's Priests aren't to be buried with kings. Priests are not to be buried with kings. Going back to Memorial Day, being memorialized. This man was seen as the leader. Hid this, I mean his wife hid this kid. They hid him in the temple. He set up protection, coached the kid up. Then all of a sudden, he dies and the people are so pleased with his anointing of leadership over God. They said, you know what? Uh, we're going to bury you with the kings. It means they kind of see him as a king. That's a pretty big honor. Pretty, pretty big honor here. Then all of a sudden, I want you to look what happens. I want to fast forward a little bit, if you don't mind um, going down a little bit further. I want to get, uh, go, well, let's actually, we'll just read through it. Verse 16. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done for Israel, uh, in Israel for God and his temple. That's how he's remembered. Let's just keep reading. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. Now this is where it gets scary. They abandoned the temple of the Lord. When you abandon the temple, what they're saying is, you're abandoning the centerpiece of worship. Now, today we don't have a temple. The, the New Testament teaches that we are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. So when you begin to abandon the very place, if you begin and I begin to abandon the place where we worship the Lord, then certain things begin to happen. The God of their ancestors and worshiped Asherah poles and idols. Those were, those were uh, symbols, um, idol symbols that were what the land of Canaan used to do before Israel came in wicked because of their guilt god's anger came on judah and jerusalem 
Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not, what saints? Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. The, the, the priest that took care of Joash, his son gets a word from God. Are y'all tracking me? Zechariah gets a word from God. He's the, the son of this priest that was eulogized in all Israel for all the good that he had done for God and the temple. He had raised this king. Are you, are, are you tracking along with me? This is, this is really good stuff. So a word from Zechariah is like really getting a word from uh, the, his father. I mean, this guy can be trusted, right? This is, he stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. Let's just stop for a moment. People ought to fall on their knees at that point, right? People would say, hey, this is Zechariah. I mean, you know who his daddy was? His daddy was the guy who kind of restored this whole nation. We had this wicked woman leading, and she was destroying people and killing people. She tried to kill her own grandson because she wanted to be in control. She wanted anything that represented God. She wanted no God in the kingdom and try to wipe it out. That's why at your job, when you represent the Lord, you are the stench of death. That's why when you represent the Lord in your family, your family might not like you. That's why you're around classmates or you're at or friends or you're hanging out at a, a gym or whatever else you're doing and you represent the Lord people are not going to like you just read the books of Corinthians and it explains that we are the Rome of Christ to those who are going to live but we are the stench of death to those who are perishing you cannot please them give them all your money give them your car and two weeks later they will still be talking about you why because it's not you that they're attacking because your struggle is not against flesh and blood but it's against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms you are waging a war with the enemy being then they're being controlled by him this is a word from god so people ought to receive it. Verse 21. But, that word scares me in Scripture a lot. They plotted against him. And by order of the king, they stoned... Wait, did I read that right? Did, did you read it right? Who ordered Zechariah to be stoned? Talk to me. The king, Joash, let me get this right in my mind. You're telling me, and the scripture is telling me, that the king, Joash, who was raised and protected and whose life was saved by this guy's mother and father, is now, he's giving an order to stone the son of the man and woman who saved his life. King Joash, well, let's just finish it, of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. 
So that's just like this. Let's pretend that this is the Lord's temple. So I'm at the door hugging y'all's neck. I walk outside in between the library and here and y'all stone me to death. Don't do that, please. But you can throw bread. All right, so, verse 22. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zachariah's father, Jehoiada, had shown him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see El Rohi and call you to account. At the turn of the year, the army of Aram marched against Joash. God didn't even wait. God didn't wait long. And now he sent this army to come and take over and just begin to destroy Judah. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. The very leaders that were leading Joash against Zechariah. They sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. Although the Aramean army had come only, excuse me, had come with only a few men. Please don't miss that. The Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army. The Lord delivered a small, wicked nation and turned over the nation that he had loved in vast numbers The Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Judgment was executed on who? Yeah, so here's, let's break it down for you. So Joash is the king of the people. So when the king sins, who all suffers? All right, it's not rhetorical. Uh, When the king sins, who all suffers? Everybody. Right? If your commander does it wrong, If he sins, you all suffer. That is why the nation suffered. See, your sins are not just to you. My sins are not just to me. Sins are not only costly to me, but they're costly to others around me. When the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials... Hmm. Even the people that were around him. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son, that is Zechariah, of Jehoiada, the priest. And they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the what, saints? So here's what's interesting. Jehoiada was a priest And he's buried in the tomb of the kings. The king was buried not in the tomb of the kings. How do you want to be remembered? How does Jesus, how does the impact of our sweet king and Lord Jesus impact us to do something great for him? Think about it this way. Here's axiom number one. I want you to write this down. It's online, so check it out. You can spend time, pray through it, see what the Lord says to you. But here's the axiom that we get from this scripture. Number one, whoever speaks into your life determines your life with Jesus. 
That was really good. Whoever speaks into your life determines your life with Jesus. If my children speak into my life and they're not following the Lord, then my life becomes their life, then I don't do very much for Jesus. If my work becomes my life and they speak into my life, then I do much for my work, but maybe not much for Jesus. Because it depends on if I'm doing my work for Jesus or if I'm doing my work for me. If, if, if I go to some, if I speak a lot into my life and it's my life is not really being listened to, I'm not listening to Jesus, then my life becomes more about me than it becomes about him and then it controls my life. Whoever speaks into your life determines your life. It determines the final outcome, the trajectory of your life. Uh, you understand that being in the military, right? You understand when you get orders, what do you have to do? You go, right? Whoever speaks into your life determines your life. Determines your circumstances, your environment, the place that you're in. And what happens is we, we allow those people such a privilege and right to speak in their life that sometimes they end up controlling our life. I, it was interesting to me, when I read this, why, uh, why did Joash change? What happened here? Think about it. When he was young, he had trust. He, he listened to Jehoiada. He, he, he listened to the priest. He did what the priest said. You can go back and read in 2 Chronicles 24. He, he was obedient to even trying to build up the temple. Then all of a sudden, something happened. He did this. What, makes, what made him not willing to, to, to listen anymore? What made him not willing? I believe the answer is here. The answer is um, separation. Uh, you know, the, the lack of trust. He forgot where he came from. Look back at verse 1. Uh, 2 Chronicles Chapter 24, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zibia. She was from Beersheba. Uh, he became king when he was seven. Seven. He's a young kid. He had trust. He did what the priest told him to do. The priest is basically his father. The priest's wife was basically his mother. His grandmother was trying to kill him. I mean, think about it. He's doing what? He was doing what? Whatever the priest said, there was trust, but all of a sudden something happened. He forgot where he came from. Skip down to verse 22. Well, let's start with 21. I apologize, Brandy. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. That's Zechariah getting stoned to death. Verse 22. King Joash did not, what's the next word, saint? Remember, he forgot where he came from. Listen, here's what happens. When we stop listening to the Lord, it's because we, we forget or we, we forget to remember the kindness of the Lord. In other words, when people forget that, it's what have you done for me lately, not what have you done. People begin to get that. And, and things begin to change. Things begin to change a lot. And so I was sitting there thinking about this. You know, why, why is this trust broken? It's interesting. We're, we're, image, we're made in the image of God. We are meant to be followers. We are all meant to be followers. I, I know there's leaders and we're leaders and blah, 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 but ultimately we're meant to be followers. How can I say that scripturally? It's because we're made in the image of God. When you're made in somebody's image, then you're meant to reflect that image. So that, that's the idea behind it. We were, we're all meant to be followers. And even though... Even though Joash was a follower, he began to break trust 
and stopped and tried to lead himself. I mean, think about it this way. Even the guy that mentored him, Jehoiada, was a leader. He was still a follower. Look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 23. This is so good. 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 1. In the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength. He made a covenant with the commanders of units of a hundred. And, and so he makes a covenant. Now I want you to see this theme throughout chapter 23. Go down to verse 3. The whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. So verse 1, they make a covenant, this idea of a covenant. Verse 3, they make a covenant. Go down to verse 11. Verse 11. Jehoiada and his sons brought out the king's son and they put a crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. There's this idea of covenant. Covenant verse 1, covenant verse 3, covenant verse 11. It keeps going through on through the chapter. Look at verse 16. Jehoiada then made a covenant that he, the people, and the king would be the Lord's people. Even though Jehoiada was a leader, he was also a great follower. Why? Because he made a covenant. Now here's what happens. We, we stop becoming followers. We stop becoming followers when we break covenant. That's what the Lord showed me. When we break covenant, we stop becoming followers. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Jesus did for us what we could not do. Even though that we, all in this room, are covenant breakers. Here's the beauty of Jesus. He did for us what we could not do. He fulfilled the covenant. He became the perfection. He became the sinless person that we could not. He became the loving son of God that we could not. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. It'll be up here. You can just write it down in your notes or check it out online. Hebrews 7 22 says this, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus is the guarantee of our covenant with God. Be free today in the Lord. Be happy and rejoice in the Lord because Jesus is the guarantee. I mean, I don't know why people think you could lose your salvation because the more I study God's word, the more I see you can't lose what Jesus has done. He is the guarantee. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, there's no guarantee. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, there's no guarantee. If he's not the only begotten son of God, there's no guarantee. But we have a guarantee. I don't know about you, but I like when I have a guarantee. I, I, I love having a guarantee. You know one of the greatest gifts that I get and probably that maybe you get? that? Well, I love food. You don't love food as much as me. Uh, and I'm, that's not a judgment. It's just you're in sin because you don't love no, I'm kidding. I don't want you to be a glutton. Uh, but like me. But I, 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 I want you to know that one of my favorite gifts to get is a, a food gift card. Uh, man, man, I'm telling you. Like it goes like this. A hug from God, a kiss from my wife, and right barely below that is a gift, a food card. Don't judge me. I, I mean, I love it. I love it. And especially, you know, I mean... There's heaven, then there's golden corral. You, you can say what you want. You can, you can say, I know you've got other places. you you got your, I, I, listen, anything that's a buffet is good with me. Right? It's good. I don't care if it's a China buffet. I don't care if it's a French buffet. I don't care if it's a Norwegian buffet. I don't care what type of buffet it is. I don't care if it's CC's, BC's, ACDC. I don't care. It says buffet. As long as the T is silent, I am French. 
So I, when I get that gift card, just track with me a little bit. Come on. It's the Memorial Day weekend. I mean, rejoice a little. So you get this gift card, and, and you, you, it's a guarantee that when I eat, I don't have to, what, saints? Pay. Glory. Hallelujah. I mean, when I get a gift card, when I bite into a York peppermint patty, I get this insane. You got to understand, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that when I go, I can get the bloat so much. Don't judge me. That I can feel so good when I walk out of there, the icing on the cake is I walk out with a smile because when they come over to me with the bill, I come over to them where it's already been paid. Thank you very much. And your tip is not on there. Hallelujah. You, you see, um, my bill has been paid and I get to... Re- my bill has been paid and I get to... Re- My bill has been paid, and I get to rejoice in all the good fruit that God has given me. Your bill has been paid. So you need to rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Your bill has been paid. And so that Jesus is the guarantee. He is the gift card that we get that says not just get out of hell because I don't want to live like that. That sounds like heaven is just some place where I go, you know, I don't go to some place and just go, and when I want to go out to eat, I'm going to eat. I don't know about you. I'm not going to a place that I just go, that was okay. If I'm going to spend my money, we're going to spend it right. You're either going to go big or you're going to go home. You see, my guarantee Jesus doesn't mean I get out of hell. My guarantee of Jesus means I get to be with him. That's what we get. That's, that's the joy that we get in the Lord. We get him. He is the guarantee. He is, speaks into our life and he determines our life. He is the guarantee. He's the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. But the ministry of Jesus has received it is as superior to those uh, as the covenant of which he is the mediator. Not only is he the guarantee, but he's the one who determines who gets the guarantee. Woo! Okay, you didn't hear that. He's the, me- thank you, one. That's right, I mean, he's the mediator. He is the one who keeps us in right standing with the Lord. Romans 8, he intercedes for us. Yes, even the Holy Spirit with groanings too deep for words intercedes for us. But the difference is, he is the mediator. I don't have to worry about people speaking into my life that are going to lead me down a different path when I have the one who is my life speaking into my life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the mediator. And oh, by the way, just when you think you doubt that your covenant could just go away, then you get into Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the what covenant, saints? Eternal. He's the guarantee. Jesus is the guarantee. And he's the mediator. And oh, by the way, the covenant is eternal. How can you lose what you can't guarantee? 
How can you lose what you can't mediate? And oh, by the way, how can you lose when it is permanent? Do you see the rejoicing in the Lord that he is speaking into our lives? Because those who speak into your life determine your life. Robbie, I'm going to ask you to come over here and play overs. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a person that absolutely, when they see me, all I want them to see is the glory of Jesus. I want people to see this. Man, John was not a good person, but guess what? God is so majestic and so holy that he used an idiot like him. Right? I mean, there's no preachers in this world that are really cool. The Bible says God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit of power. When people see me, I want them to see somebody that Jesus stepped in and changed. I want them to see my dirtiness. I want them to see my filthiness. I want them to see my brokenness, because in that, Jesus looks that much better. Because when I'm weak, he is. And when I'm poor, he is. That's the Jesus we serve. That's, we don't have to worry about this breaking trust. We don't have to be like Joash, who gets away from the priest because the priest dies and then he takes in a whole new group of friends, a whole new group of leaders. We don't have to be like that because we have an eternal priest in heaven. And I want to close with this. Whoever finishes the race of life becomes the champion of the race of life in Jesus. I cut out a lot because I got a lot more in this sermon, I promise you. I just cut out point number, axiom number two. But I want to get to a guy. I just want to show you something. I had so much I want to show you, but turn to Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. I, I want to talk about a guy named Hezekiah. You see, Joash became prideful and he was buried outside away from the kings. But let me show you about a guy who was a king, who's a descendant of Joash. Not too far from Joash. And here's this great king. He's a great military leader. He's a great man. Became very powerful. In fact, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah eulogizes some people and he eulogizes kings and this king was a powerful king verse 24 in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign but Hezekiah's heart was proud pride Remember when we're prideful, we don't let the great priest Jesus speak into our life. And he did not respond to, the, respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Because again, he's the king that affects everybody. I love verse 26. Then Hezekiah, this is so beautiful. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had, a very, had very great wealth and honor, and he made treasuries 
for his silver and gold and for his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. Then I want to skip down to verse 32. The other events of Hezekiah's reign and his acts of devotion are written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. Joash buried outside the tomb of the kings. Hezekiah repents of his pride and he is honored not because he was perfect but because he showed his weakness to the one who is perfect and that is what God wants from us today is to not just be perfect in life because there's only one who's going to be perfect and that's Jesus so give it up I'm not giving you a license to sin. I'm just giving you a a license in the Spirit not to feel condemnation because of your sin, but to let the Spirit convict you of it so you can turn back to a loving Father who says, I've already made it right. Just come home. But we've got to finish. I want to encourage you to finish what God has started in your heart. Finish what He has done. In fact, and we're going to go into time of invitation where I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to give you and I the strength to finish. Because I don't know about you, but I'm just going to confess to you and I'm going to bear my soul to you. I'm a little bit worn. I'm a little bit worn. Sometimes there's so much to do and so many things to be done that it wears. But God calls us to finish just like Jesus did. When he said, to tell us die, or it is finished, or paid in full. you got to finish. Many of you know the great leader, William Wilberforce, who was the instrument that God used to stop slavery in the great Britain Empire. He got elected. It's amazing. He got elected at 21. But when he was born, when he was born, he was very weak. He was born in 1759, if you know anything about him. He was sickly and frail. He was described, and this is what they said about him. This is what they said about one of the greatest leaders in history that did something so profound that changed the whole world world not a nation they said this and I quote he was described as all soul and no body that week he fought for years and after years and after years to change a generation at 21 he was elected to the house of commons And in 1785, he was born in 1759. And in 1785, at 26 years old, he goes to William Pitt. William Pitt, they went to Cambridge together. William Pitt goes on to be the prime minister. And he had no greater friend than William Pitt. They were very close friends. And he says this. He he wrote Pitt in the middle of a, a spiritual transformation that he called 
William Wilberforce called his great change. He said, I am searching for a calling. I think many of us in this room are. He said this, from now on my political views would have to follow my conscience and my convictions. And then he and William Pitt have this deep conversation. And William Wilberforce is ready to walk away. He's ready to walk away from the House of Commons. He's ready to quit being a political leader. He says, I I don't know what to do with my life. I'm in search of a calling. And William Pitt, one night, they get together and they go at it. And William Pitt says, let me tell you something. Sometimes in your Christian walk, sometimes it calls for meditation. But after meditation, then there's a call for action. Woo! William Wilberforce was smacked right in the face by his friend. And so he says, I got to go to somebody who's a leader and help me sort out this calling. So he writes a letter to a guy who was a former heathen, a former blasphemer, a former man who would curse God and was horrific and was a brawler and was a leader in the slave trade. His name was Newton. You might remember him as the man who wrote the words to Amazing Grace. By this time, Newton was 60 years old, and he, he was a, an, an incredible man of God, but still beaten down because of all the sin and the horrific things he had seen and done to people through the slave trade. And so Wil- Wilberforce wrote him and then would walk around the block twice before he went to his door because he didn't want anybody to be seen. He was in the House of Commons and he's this big political figure. He didn't want anybody to be seen uh, going to an evangelical or a Christian. But nonetheless, he goes to him and he goes to him and, 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 and Newton helps him work out this calling for two years. They kind of meet secretly. And William Pitt, the prime minister, in their private conversations is challenging Wilberforce. You can do it. And he says this to him. He says, you can do it. You would do it. I'm going to say this to you today. You can do it. You would do it. Newton, the pastor, says, who knows? God has brought you into the political arena for such a time as this. All of a sudden, he goes to the political arena there, and it's on his heart to do something for the Lord. And then he goes and talks to this guy named Thomas Clarkson, a lobbyist. And this lobbyist comes with these chains and, and these, these terrible pieces of iron, and he shows the horrific things that they were doing in the slavery as they would go to West Africa and take the children and take the people and do this. And all of a sudden, Wilberforce says, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to do. Because Clarkson showed him, and I quote, the horrific evidence dealing with the cruel slave trade. It moved Wilberforce to action. Feed your frustration, by the way. So 20 years of his work, Wilberforce was filled with frustration, duplicity, and disappointment. And due to a severe illness, he almost died. And it took him almost two years to be, bring, before he brought the first speech to Parliament on getting rid of the slavery. And for three and a half hours, he stood in front of Parliament and he showed and talked about the brutalities. And for many, it was the first glimpse into practices. And then he said these powerful words, and this is what Wilberforce is known by. He says this, at the very end of his speech, he says, Having heard all this, you may choose to look away, but you can never say again you did not know. You could 
Listen, you can choose to look away from the work of the Lord and the calling of the Lord, but you can never walk out of these doors and say you did not know. So I'm getting ready to close with this. Hang with me. So at the very end, Charles Wesley wrote him a letter of encouragement because he was Wesley, you know, the guy's attributed to the, the founder of, uh, uh, of, of Methodism and John Wesley and Charles Wesley wrote him a letter of encouragement after he had been battling those house for many, the House of Parliament for many years. And in Charles' letter, Charles' letter wrote this, unless God has raised you up, I'm reading this, has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. Can I get a witness? He says, but if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? It was the last letter Wesley ever wrote, and he died a week later. Wesley's words stayed with Wilberforce, and he endured for another 13 years of fighting in the parliament and the defeats. He, in 1792, his, his bill was defeated. In 1796, it was defeated on his third try, 74 votes to 70. He lost by four votes. And on May the 20th, 1804, it carried in the House of Commons. He finally won 124 votes to 49. And in 1807, three years later, he won in the House of Lords 72 to 28. And on February the 24th, 1807, three weeks after the House of Lords vote, he won. And Great Britain did away with slavery 283 votes to 16. At four in the morning, four in the morning, they gave him a standing ovation. For minutes, they stood and they cheered for William Wilberforce. And as he sat there and he cried with tears streaming down his face. And in 1883, Wilberforce was gravely ill. And at that very moment, the House of Commons voted to abolish slavery throughout the whole Great Britain Empire. And at that moment of that vote, 800,000 slaves were free. He finished. He finished. He took a stand, as one scholar said, for the weakest and the most vulnerable who need our help. So I'm going to ask you today, do you need God to give you the strength to finish. If you do, I want to ask you to come and just pray to the Lord. Some of you might want to stay in your seat. Some of you might want to get in front of the Lord, but we want to pray over you and with you. Maybe today God has spoken to you. Who in here needs to finish what God has called you to start? Who knows? He might have raised you up for such a time as this. Father, this is my prayer that we would respond to finishing the call. That people would see you and not us. Lord, I don't know who needs to pray or what they need to pray for, but we want to pray with them. Because you said the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so since we have the righteousness of Jesus, Lord, we can begin to pray. Maybe we need to be the strength of you to finish well at our jobs or maybe we need to finish well for our family members for the people that are hurting desperately in our families and we need to pray for them and we've been worn out because we don't really see a whole lot of fruit we've been doing a whole lot of sowing and a whole lot of watering but we just don't see a evidence for that maybe there are people that 
Lord, that we're just struggling to finish exactly what you've called us to finish. Lord, we, we just want to be straight up with you today. We want to pour our hearts out to you today. We want people to see Jesus. And I thank you that he died and rose again for us. And it's my prayer that everybody in this room knows him as that. Because we can't save ourselves, but only you can save us. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God, you raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So Lord, I ask you, for those that need to be saved, you'll save them. They'll surrender. For those that need encouragement, forgive us strength to finish. Help us to do that. Lord, we love you. Speak into our life. Because whoever speaks into our life determines our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name.